Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Love Life Connection podcast, a podcast for successful women who feel like they have it all except love. I'm your host, Veronica Grant, a love and life coach. And my only goal with this podcast is to inspire you to believe in yourself and that real love is possible for you, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. Hello, and welcome to episode number 265 of the Love Life Connection podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, I'm super excited to be back in your earbuds again this week. And we've got a really, really great guest for you. And I'm going to talk about that in just one second. Before we do, I know I say this a lot, but it really is important. If you haven't left a rating or review for this podcast, and this show has helped you in big or small ways, I would be so grateful if you left a quick rating. That's literally a tap of stars. It takes two seconds or a review takes an extra 30 to 60 seconds. I would just really appreciate it. I read all of the reviews and I love them. And it just also tells the podcast gods and goddesses that people like the show and that maybe they should put the show and more search results as people are searching things on whatever podcast app they are on. So again, thank you. Thank you so much. If you've already left a rating review, I really, really do appreciate it. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And if you haven't left a review, I love you still too, but I would also appreciate a rating or review. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So today on the show, we've got my friend Amy Smith of thejoyjunkie.com. And Amy is just one of those people that I just really, really admire. I think she is so smart. She is so spot on. And I think she's a really, really wonderful teacher. And, you know, I talk a lot about how there's like, you know, some gaslighty type of things that go on inside the personal development industry. And Amy is not a part of that. I think she's the real deal. I think she, I mean, she really inspires me when she talks about her marriage to her partner. She inspires me in my own marriage. And I just think the way she teaches and what she teaches about communication and vulnerability and boundaries is just so, so good. So that's actually her sweet spot is talking about communication. I think her freebie is called how to stand up for yourself without being a dick. I mean, she's also kind of sassy. So she's actually been on the show before to talk about her core expertise, which is boundary setting, communication 
communication, vulnerability. And we'll link that episode up in the show notes. It's an older episode. Um, so just, you know, <laughs> it'll sound a little different. However, the content with Amy is just as good as, you know, anything else. So again, we'll put that link in the show notes if you want to learn more from her. But today I wanted her back on the show because, you know, she posts a lot about her relationship to her husband of 20 plus years on Instagram. So I love what she shares about her 20 plus year marriage, because I know one thing that comes up a lot in this community is a lot of women feel like, well, I never had a healthy relationship modeled to me. I don't know what's normal. I don't know what's acceptable behavior or not. And so are my standards too high or am I not expecting enough? And if you can relate to any of that, I think you're really going to love my conversation with Amy. All right, before we dive into my interview with Amy, I just want to say one thing. Just because Amy does something in her relationship does not mean you have to do it. And if you don't do that in your relationship, it means that it's not healthy or it's not deep or it's not loving or whatever, as much as Amy says. Totally not the case. I really don't want you to just emulate what she's doing. I really want you to listen to what she says, like what she's really saying about her relationship and why it's working. For example, there's a time in our conversation where Amy shares that her and her husband do their own separate laundry and grocery shopping and cooking. And they do that because that's what works for them. So I want you to listen to underneath the surface of what she's saying and not be like, oh shit, I have to do my own laundry, my own grocery shopping in my relationship. Not the case at all. My husband and I do that shared and it works. All right, this episode goes a little longer than I wanted. So I'm going to wrap this intro up and we're going to get right into my conversation with Amy. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you. And I almost was going to ask, how can I help? And um, I usually have (laughs) clients on the show, but you're not a client. Or I usually have people on the show to be coached, but you're not that. You are a guest expert, which I'm super excited to have. Um, So why don't you just do a brief introduction so folks know who they're listening to? Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me. I love hanging out with you. So my name is Amy Smith, and I am a coach and a hypnotherapist. And I really specialize in the area of all things communication. So what that really looks like is an internal component and an external component. The internal piece is believing in your own value, believing in your own worthiness. We all have different semantics or words for it, but believing that you are enough, that you're deserving, that you're lovable, that internal belief and piece of if I stand in that place of my, I am valuable then how do I communicate that with the outside world? What does that look like as far as boundaries, tough conversations, learning how to say no, all of those things that we we have a difficult time with as it pertains to communication, asking for what we want, asking for our needs to be met, that sort of a thing. So that's what I do in my little corner of the internet. Awesome. And just so everyone knows, gosh, I don't know how long ago it was few years ago, I think you were on the show. And so we'll put that episode in the show notes where we talked all about boundaries and communication because uh, we're going to talk about something else today. Um, so yes. if people want to hear about that from you, then, you know, of course, I'll have you share your resources at the end of the episode. But that episode previously when you're on the show is below this or somewhere in your show notes, wherever you get that kind of stuff if you're listening. Cool. Okay. So we're going to talk about your relationship with Mr. Smith. And I'm super excited because, you know, a lot of women listening to this show will, you know, some have been in long-term relationships, but many will say either they've never been in a long-term relationship. So they feel like they don't know 
how to do it. It's never been modeled to them, or at least not modeled sure. in a healthy way, in a way that they would want to replicate in their own life. Um, and then some people have been in relationships and they're like, well, not doing that again, because that was a shit show, to say the least. So I'm really excited to talk about your relationship. I know you have a lot of wisdom to share, a lot of tips, advice, your experience. Um, can you just share a little bit, just like top line, like basic information so we know what we're going to be learning about in terms of like what your relationship is, how it looks, how many years sure. you've been, all that kind of stuff? Sure. So I am married to the most incredible human and I lovingly refer to him as Mr. Smith that we have vacillated between multiple different monikers throughout our entire relationship. But I will say that that is one caveat off the bat that if you refer to your partner either directly to them or behind their back as you know, the old man or the ball and chain, or I had a, a friend once who called her husband, the warden because he had so much control over her, you know, her. So if you are referring in a derogatory term, it's likely that you're going to continue to manifest even more of that because mm-hmm. you are shining a light on it. Right. So yeah. we can go into that later, but so I call him Mr. Smith and we've been married for about 22 years and we've been together for 24. We are about eight years apart. He's about eight years older than me. And he identifies as a cisgendered straight man. And I identify as a cisgendered pansexual woman. So we have different kind of sexual orientations. And that has definitely been something that has evolved over time that we've discussed and and grown together with, which has been really cool. And so one of the things that we're consistently asked all the time is not just what makes a marriage work, but what makes a marriage work long-term where you're actually still happy? Because there's plenty of people who stay together, mm-hmm. you know, for the bullshit reason of, the kids or it was, you know, logistically or financially, it makes sense, but they're not necessarily in a really happy, sublime place. And that's something that we have always cherished and held very sacred that we want to continue the momentum of genuinely being so happy and also a huge element of freedom in our relationship. And that was something when I got married very, very young. I got married when I was 20. I had just turned 20. And, you know, for years and years, I would say getting married was the most liberating thing I ever did for myself. Mm -hmm. And I think it was largely because of the people that both of us were at that time inside the relationship. And so I think there's so many different facets that we can talk about today, at least peripherally, that can contribute to longevity. But I will say sort of as a as an overarching metaphor, I really feel like it's largely about maintenance. It's not, you know, if you were to think about you get an incredible car, right? It's like souped up. It's awesome. It's fantastic. If you don't caretake for it, if you don't do the proper oil changes, if you don't do the maintenance, quite literally one day, it may blow up overnight, right? It might just go to shit. 
Now, does that mean that that happened because of one isolated incident? No, it's a compound effect. It's something that happened over multiple years of neglect. And the same is true for a relationship. So it's not these grandiose vacations or these huge demonstrations of love or, you know, things like that. It's what you do on a day in and day out basis. So we can jump into that more, but that's just a little overview. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. One thing that stuck out in my mind, I'm always trying to put myself in uh, my listeners' shoes. Like, what are they thinking? What are they asking? And I, and I think one thing that might've jumped out for them is you said when you got married, it was most liberating thing for you. And I was wondering if you can dive more into that because, you know, one thing that comes up with a lot is like, I'm an independent woman and like, there's a, they, a lot of women will place a lot of stock in that. And it almost, and almost to the point where it, it feels like whether or not they say it consciously that, okay, being singles, independence, being in a relationship is losing my independence. And so there's like this false, I think it's a false dichotomy. And I would assume you think that too, but I'm, I'm curious to hear how being in the relationship was actually freeing for you rather than, you know, the opposite. Well, I think there's multiple factors here. And I think largely it was, and this is also, I feel like I'm an outlier in this way that I was very independent at a super early age. And it was very clear about what I did and didn't want in a relationship and what I would and wouldn't tolerate. I also have an, an incredible father. And I think that was a huge, a huge piece of what I would and wouldn't accept at least in my own personal experience. And I think the other major factor is who my husband is. So he was never attracted or interested in somebody who wasn't independent. He didn't want the role of sole provider. He didn't want somebody who was going to churn out babies and do like this 1950s persona that wasn't going to work or, and I, there's no shame in any of that. I feel like if that's you and that's how you are fulfilled, you honor that for sure. But for our situation that was not what he wanted, nor was that what I wanted. So there was already a synergy there. And we came to the relationship, both of us really wanting to have our own identity. And I think we had some foresight about that. That's odd for, for the age that we were, you know, I was going to say, it's like you guys almost grew up together. We did, you know, I mean, And keep in mind, he was, he was significantly older for that phase. So he, you know, when we got married, he was 28 and I was 20. So there, you know, there's a a little bit of a distinction there, but we did, we did grow up together in a lot of ways, but he had, because of that, that age difference, he had served in the military. He was in uh, desert storm, the war in desert storm. He well, I guess served. I don't know if he was actually, he wasn't actually considered in the war, but he had lived with a woman, you know, and had a real serious, a couple of serious relationships. And he was just more relationship minded, I think, than a lot of men and wasn't interested in, and this is really to his credit in so many ways. He's not, (laughs) he's not the typical patriarchal dude who couldn't like go get manicures or go to the theater with me or, you know, be with his emotions. And, 
And I attribute a lot of that to his mom and his upbringing. So for me, I felt like I was embarking on this massive adventure and that adventure just pretty much hasn't stopped. Mm-hmm. I love that. And so I'm thinking some people listening might be like, well, that's really great. I want a man like that, you know, that can go to the theater, or be in touch with his emotions. Would you say that those men are rare? Because <laughs> I, th- I, I, I feel like some people listening like, okay, well, she got lucky. Like, and right. I, I think there's a lot of men like that, but it can be hard. And also, I'm, I, I know I'm speaking in heteronormative language right now. Most of the women listening to this from what I know, I think are straight women, though, not a hundred percent. So I'm just kind of curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. Well, I have told him he's the last dick I'm going to be with. (laughs) 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 I've told him, you know, I don't have a tremendous amount of, well, I guess I go back and forth, but I definitely feel safer with women. And I feel like I lucked out in finding him. But what I think is the big distinction, I think there's a couple of things happening at this space and time in our history, is that women are finally getting so fed up. And they are saying, I'm not going to tolerate that bullshit anymore in larger swaths than we've seen before. Mm -hmm. And in bigger bodies of the, the younger generations, millennial and Z, have been more like, oh, fuck no. And I think we're starting to call out and call forth men where we're not letting them get away with things yeah. as much. And we're starting to have a little bit more, more conversations about emotional intelligence. And I think really what it comes down to f- for people who are dating now is being really clear about what it is that they want inside of a partnership. And I'm sure you talk about that, like getting really clear about what you want to attract and what you want to manifest. And I think one of the biggest pieces of that is being clear that you're not going to settle because I think so often when we don't have a definitive criterion of like, here's here's what I want to create as far as a relationship, here's who I want in my life. And then also here's who I intend to be right? I always love to say, be the person that you want to attract. If we don't have that, we kind of take on all these projects Mm -hmm. or we take sexual connection and go, okay, well, this is the end all be all, or this is the best sex I've had. So I'm going to make this relationship work, Mm -hmm. or I'm so sick of being alone, or I'm going to go back to my ex. So we take on all of these subpar things that are, that are not worthy of us. I think there's also a, a distinction that I think is worth bringing up here too. I remember at a very early age, I was probably about 14 and there was some guy who broke my heart. And I distinctly remember having this thought process of if I'm capable of showing up inside of a relationship and being kind and being generous and caring about the other person, if I'm able to do that, there has to be somebody else out there who can match that. And I don't think that that logic is what happens for most people. I think we experience hurt. We experience something where we were vulnerable and then we had to pay the consequences for it. And so then we start building up walls. 
Mm-hmm. We start building up walls, building up walls, building up walls. Yet at the same time, we never stop craving that intimacy. Yeah. But intimacy is directly related, directly equivalent to how vulnerable you're willing to be. So if you're saying, I want this great intimacy, but you're not willing to be vulnerable, you're not going to reach that depth. Yeah. They're directly parallel with one another. So I think there was also a piece of that, that early on I went, I'm willing to keep bearing my soul and I'm willing to keep being vulnerable because I know there has to be somebody else out there who's like me, who operates like me. And I think that that thought process was, was pivotal is one of the reasons why I found him so early. Right. Yeah. 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 I probably would have found my partner a lot earlier, <laughs> but I had that thought process. So one thing you say is, um, you say, you know, marry your soulmate. A lot of people walk down the aisle, you know, having doubts, but then just ignore them, pretend like they aren't there. But then you also say some soulmates can be toxic. So it's not like we're supposed to, I assume that means we don't necessarily have one soulmate. Cause, um, but can you just talk a little bit more about how to know if someone's your soulmate and like, how do you know if it's like a toxic soulmate versus a soulmate you'd want to be with? Well, first off, I think that we have many of them. I don't think that there's just one. My perspective on that is I think that our spirits and our souls vibe on a different level, right? I think it's the same reason why maybe you you join a class or something and you meet somebody who is like a friend who you've you just meet them and you're like, I feel like I've known you forever. I feel like that's a part of our soul tribe, right? Soul sisters. Yeah. And I think the same is true for soulmates. But that just because you have this immediate intimacy doesn't mean that you have the ability to navigate a relationship in a healthy way. That doesn't mean you've dealt with all of your own childhood trauma. That doesn't mean that you've dealt with communication issues. That doesn't mean that you understand uh, manipulation and projection. So there's all these other components besides just being viscerally and soulfully connected that can contribute to the success of a relationship. I also think that it depends on what you genuinely want out of a relationship. I just saw this couple on TikTok, two women, best friends, totally platonic, aren't sexually involved, but they got married so that they could live their life together. And I was like, I love that. I love that people are redefining the things that we think relationships have to look like. And if I was in that situation and I wanted to raise children and I wanted to have a really thoughtful partnership and I wasn't overly concerned about a sexual connection, I could see that being an amazing solution for people. One of the things that has set us apart very early very much throughout the decades has been, we have a tremendous amount of autonomy in our relationship. We have never had joint finances to this day. We run our, we both have businesses that we run separately. We contribute everything kind of 50, 50, where it's like, okay, we're planning a vacation. How we do a budget. Okay. You're going to put in this amount. I'm going to put in the other amount. He does his own groceries. I do my own groceries. He has separate, we have separate sides of the fridge. We have separate drawers. We have separate pantries. He does his laundry. I do my laundry. So that has made it so that the independence factor there is we never fight about domestic shit 
forever. There's <laughs> systems for everything. And I would say, again, this is also a heteronormative statement, but by and large, you would see disproportionately women who feel the emotional labor of taking care of the household, mm-hmm. right? Where all of the things that they are doing, whether it's trying to elevate the partnership to talk about things of merit, have a deeper conversations, to actually caretaking for the physical environment. There has been such an overload of burden for women disproportionately over the, the years. So for us, we get to still date and be like, have all the fun of our relationship without being pissed that somebody's not taking out the trash or taking care of the dogs or whatever. So all of that to say, I think that soulmates are a a component, but then I think that there's all these other elements, communication, vulnerability, growth, being able to grow independently, but also together, all of these other elements that contribute to the success, to the longevity. Mm -hmm. But I do think that if you are somebody who wants that electric connection, that that soulmate piece is important, right? But I do think that there's a way that we overly glorify that relationships are an intimate partnership in particular is going to provide all of our needs. And Esther Perel talks about this a lot in her work and the book Mating in Captivity, how it's a newer concept for us to demand that our intimate partner be all of the things to us be our emotional support, be our spiritual guides, be our sexual partners, be our champions, be our cheerleaders, be our financial stability, be our vehicles for our hobbies and habits. And and that's actually a relatively newer concept. And I think it's also created situations where everyone comes up short you know, everyone comes up short. That's a really high bar to set for people. So in that framework, I think independence is mandatory, you know, like you need to have your separate ways in which you are fulfilled. So I know I kind of touched on a lot of things there, but I think that if you want to have a really electric relationship, then yes, I do think that you search for that soulful connection but you don't stop there. And if stability is more important to you and security, or you know, if you have other priorities, that's okay too. You can be with somebody who's not necessarily a soulmate and have a pretty damn good life. Like this, you know, this couple that I'm talking about on TikTok, I wish I had their handles, I could tell you, but they are. I would say they're probably soul sisters. They're, you know, there's no sexual thing happening between them, but they've got a great system dialed out and they seem extremely happy. So, so I think it's giving yourself the permission to want what you want and to have the priorities that are your priorities. But I also think that we have to break free from some of the, the toxic mentality around women defining their worth by their partnership Mm -hmm. and, okay, then I'll, then I'll be happy as soon as I'm partnered. Or, I mean, that's, that's throughout history. That's what it's been about is you're valuable as a woman. If you can be married off, you know, and even though we've 
come so far from that. I think there's still those, those little remnants in that residual. Oh yeah. yeah. I think it's definitely, definitely there. It's, it's like not openly expressed, but I mean, I think it's, you know, cause it's like, if you, if you see like a woman in middle aged or something and she's not married, it's like, Oh, why isn't she married? Like, that's the first thing that like society, like, like media or something would say about her. And it's just truly terrible, but we don't do that to men. No. You know, a man single, you're, it's, oh, debonair and it's, he's a bachelor, but if it's a woman, it's an old hag or an old maid. It's like, yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Hopefully. I don't know. I I have faith in Gen Z. (laughs) I do too. I do. I do too. My niece is Gen Z. And so she's like telling me or trying to teach me how Gen Z's text. Apparently you only use cat emojis. I don't know. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So we basically only talk via cat emojis, um, you know, unless we're in the same room, but whatever. Anyways, I digress. (laughs) So it sounds like, you know, your partner was already, you know, naturally into, you know, growth and being vulnerable and and open, but I'm sure you've worked with a lot of women who maybe not, that wasn't their experience. So how do you, either for your, your own relationship or, you know, what you've seen with clients, how do you, um, or what would you say around, you know, how do you grow together? You know, cause you and your partner grew up together. You met really young, but like other people maybe not have met their partner so young, but they still want to grow together. And one partner may be more or less and or more independent yeah. than, or not independent, more into personal development than the other person. So, and I think that could totally work depending on the situation. So I'm just, but I'm curious to hear what, what your thoughts are on that. I think this has to do with a concept that I like to call uh, supporting versus making wrong. So there are ways in which you will grow and develop where your partner may not necessarily understand it, mm-hmm. but they don't have to. Yeah. They just need to support it as long as it's not in direct opposition to one of their core values. So here's what I mean by that. If you're with a partner and let's say you're vegan and their favorite hobby is hunting, you can't necessarily support that, right? Because it's in direct opposition to your own value system, right? But if they are into something like, you know, my husband used to tease me all the time because of my affinity for shoes, how much I love shoes. And he just didn't get it, right? Because he didn't, he didn't share that same affinity. Now, making me wrong simply because he didn't get it, because he doesn't share that same appreciation, that's slander. That's putting me down simply because he doesn't share it. He doesn't get it. It's not that supporting me in that would at all conflict with his personal autonomy or his personal value system or anything like that. So I think that there's many times, like for example, with personal development, where one partner might start to be really excited about things or they're learning or growing. And then the other one feels threatened by that Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And instead of supporting, they choose to make you wrong right? They choose to say, that's so stupid. I don't get it. That's just woo-woo nonsense. That's psychobabble, whatever. And so a lot of times when a partner is being overly critical like that, it's typically because there's some sort of 
need that's not getting met or that they feel threatened by something that you're going through. Mm -hmm. So, and it's counterintuitive because likely what we want to say is like, fuck you. Why can't you support me with this? Like, what's wrong with you? Right. But if you were to say something like, you know, I find that so curious that you are so opposed to some of the stuff that I'm finding really fulfilling or that I've really learned about myself. I'm curious where that comes from, you know, and giving them space and giving them freedom to kind of talk through that. I think it's when we armor up and we become so defensive that we don't give space for the other person to actually address what they're going through. But I do think it it's about boundaries. It's about standing up for yourself. It's about saying, hey, I recognize that this isn't something that you love or get or even understand. I don't need you to, but what I do need you to do is not make fun of me, to not make snide remarks. When I say I have a class or I'm going to meet with my coach, that you don't make an eye roll. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it might have to be about, you don't have to get it. I just need you to be supportive around it. So I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, my, when, when Stevie and I, when we first started dating, you know, I had been, you know, doing yoga for quite some time. So I'd already been somewhat in the personal development space, but obviously not as much as I am now. And, and it can be really easy when one partner is in, you know, the jungle, we'll call it. And one person isn't, it can be very easy to like, make yourself into that person, your partner's like coach, Yes, <laughs> which yes. is a huge problem. So definitely don't do that. I'd say that from experience. <laughs> and, um, and that, you know, that's very easily remedied by oh, saying, yeah. Hey, Hey, I've been really learning something. I would love to get your thoughts on it. Or I would love to share this with you where you express it with respect. Mm-hmm. And, and you also talk about how it hit home for you instead of prescribing things on your partner. Yeah. Oh, you know what you need to do? You need to listen to this podcast. You know what you need to do? You need to read this book. You need to go see a coach. Oh, I know what you're doing. You're projecting. And you start labeling and you start, you know, diagnosing. Yeah. I like to call that when self-help goes wrong because we do it to our friends too. We do it to our family. Oh, yeah. I think we do it to parents a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I, I'm definitely speaking for myself here, but, and I've, I've, I've found for me, like when I can just actually model, you know, what I just model, what I'm actually learning. Cause sometimes I can, yes. I learn and I grow and then I, I show it back to, to Stevie and like, he's not into it or doesn't get it. And then I get pissed. And then it's like, I just revert back to, you know, old behaviors or habits. And so when I can catch myself and pause and emulate what I actually want, then it gives him space to show up in a different way as well. To be right. a way that like is beneficial for not only him, but also me and, um, and the relationship. So I want to get into some of like the car maintenance. What are some of those things that have been, I know you talked about like independence um, and, and having your own, you know, groceries, that kind of stuff. Steve and I have our own finances too, by the way. I I don't know. I just, I really believe in that, but I guess to each their own, but I really believe in that as well. Me too. Um, but I'm curious to hear what else has been really helpful for you. Not, not in the sense that like, it'll be helpful for everyone listening, but some ideas, and ways that people can potentially emulate or model in their own lives. Yeah. So again, I don't think that relationships fall apart overnight. I feel like they fall apart 
after years and years of neglect. And I, I also don't think that we deliberately do that. I don't think that we go, okay, let me go ahead and start creating a pattern of neglect in my relationship. I think what happens is we have a bevy of things that come into our world, career, children, family issues that become emergent. And so we start tending to all these fires, right? We put out fires nonstop. And I think it largely happens with children more pervasively. But where we get lost into this pattern where the luxury of tending to your relationship really gets put on the back burner because you're constantly, you know, running on empty. Mm -hmm. So it becomes this business transaction for many people. And that was something that my husband told to me very early on. I remember that I was sending him a message or sending him a text and he said, you know what, what if we develop this rule that if anytime we text each other or email each other or call that we don't, we don't start with any logistics until we've said something loving. And we still do that to this day. It's one of our daily things because we text almost every day. So Hey, my love or our pet names, you know, all of the things. I hope you're having an amazing day or I've been thinking a lot about you today or I've been missing you a lot today. Hey, do we have have any plans on the 21st? So-and-so wants to do, you know, and then we go into the logistics so that there's always, our communication is always cloaked in love. I love that. So it eliminates it being transactional and businessy, right? That's one thing. Another is another daily maintenance piece is the way in which we say goodbye to each other every day. We used to call this get to the step because my husband is six five and I'm five one. So <laughs> if I stand on the upper step, it's such a better situation. <laughs> uh, but we we don't do that as much in the house that we're in now. But we've just made it, and this is literally seconds, like just seconds. But we have made it sacred that we connect and not just a, okay, love you, bye. Not one of those, but a conscious, I'm here with you. I love you. Let me look in your eyes. Let me really love you, hold you, feel you every single day. And it takes seconds. I mean, it's not that laborious. And then we do a a handful of other things. Like we have, we call them Smith's tradits or Smith traditions. And so there are little things that we do that are ways that we amplify our love. We have matching mugs every morning. So we have mugs that we've accumulated at various vacations we've taken or getaways. And so it becomes this fun thing that we search for mugs when we're out. And then he gets up earlier than me, but he picks out the mugs for the day. And so we have matching mugs and, and it's kind of, you know, things are very off balance if we don't have the matching mugs in the morning. So it's, it's a nod to our connection. You know, does it make your relationship successful? No, but it goes, it's like having, oh, this is our song kind of thing. It's little moments of our relationship matters, Mm -hmm. right? So we do that. And then every single week, and this has been like this for years and years is that we have a sacred date night. And that has looked very different in quarantine, but we also affectionately call it dinner and do it. 
(laughs) So we make a concerted effort to bring our A game to the bedroom. And that doesn't always happen either, you know, but we set it up in a way that it's like, okay, this is a piece of our life that is really, really important. And we don't ever change the date on date night unless we can reschedule it like the day before or the day after, right? So if someone's like, do you guys want to come out or, you know, there's a wedding or there's an event, we always make sure that there's another option for date night. So it's holding that relationship as like, this is super important. And that might look different for everybody, depending on if there's kids or not. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's not actually leaving the house. Maybe it's just Tuesday mornings. We do like a fun get to know you questions. Like there's, we have this awesome card deck. I'll have to look it up and see what it's, who it's by. I can't remember now, but these questions that are so introspective and so deep about your relationship. And so you could just pull a card and have an in-depth conversation with one another instead of talking about, did you pick up the milk or the cereal? You know, we have, we have a journal called, um, it's actually right here. It's called Q and a a day. Oh yeah. I think, I think Alex Franton wrote it, um, or goes okay. or whatever. So I'm looking, I want those card decks cause we just, we're almost done. It's like been three years, the three year journal. So I'm, oh, cool. else. <laughs> I'm all for like, whatever makes your job easier because at the end of the day, you're, you know, you're exhausted and it's like, how was your day? Good. How was your day? You know? So <laughs> But that's another thing that we we do is we try to debrief our day. Like, is there anything you want to talk about? Is there anything that came up today? And we've also really learned how to advocate for what we need. So if if my husband is beat because he's in a helping profession, so he's giving, giving, giving all day. If he's in a space where he's like, I I think I just need to zone out, he will he'll do that and he'll he'll just say, you know what? I don't know if I have the capacity for this conversation. Can we can we table it? And then his job is to be kind with the delivery and my job is to be kind with the receptivity, right? Like mm-hmm. and vice versa. But we've also really gotten in the habit of just genuinely asking, what do you need right now? How can I be supportive of you right now? How can I be amazing for you right now instead of well, you need to do this or you know, where we start diagnosing and prescribing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's been a huge piece, especially when your partner's upset or they're pissed off at something that's going on. We naturally want to fix it. We want to stop the pain, but most of the time what they want is sympathy. Mm-hmm. So if you just say, wow, that sounds really hard or it sounds like you've had a really rough day. How can I support you the best? Or what do you need right now? Yeah. That's actually been a really big thing for my husband and I. Um, Cause I, I, don't, I don't, again, I don't know if it's like a male thing or just he's an engineer, so he naturally wants to fix things. But sometimes I go up to him with a problem and I just want him to listen. I don't need his solution or his advice or whatever, but then he wants to give it. And so then it creates a fight. And so we've been really clear on what is it that I actually need or want from you. And that's just yeah. been so much better. You can preface it. You know, I, I yeah. do this with my best friend too, the way we communicate, but to preface it and say, Hey, I've got some stuff I want to tell you. My request is that you just hear me out and all I want is just nonstop sympathy, you know? And, and, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of, of learning how to finesse that communication. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, Well, before 
I let you go, I just want to talk briefly about conflict and managing mm. and managing that. Cause I, gosh, I can't remember where I, where I read the statistic, but it's like one of those big relationship institutes, whatever. And they talked about how the biggest predictor on the longevity of a relationship is not how often a mm. couple fights, but, oh shoot, what is this it? This is it's the like, Gottman Institute. Okay. Do you know what yes. I'm talking about then? Yes. What is it? It's, it's not how often they fight. It's like the reconciliation, like how yes. long that takes. Yes. Um, and I just feel like that is so true. So I'm just curious to hear how you manage conflict in your relationship. Yeah. So early on, we decided that if things were getting really escalated and we were starting to be snarky with one another, that we would immediately press pause, take time out. And this became a, a commitment, like and a, a ritual for the two of us, where we would stop and take time, think about things. And one of the things that we started doing was looking at responsibility of both parties. So it's right. very rare that it's ever entirely one person's fault, right? Where one person royally fucked up and the other one was a complete angel. I think in our 24 years, we've had maybe two or three instances of that where it really was on one person. A majority of the time, there's something that both people could own. A lot of times, it's our tone of voice and our delivery, what we're actually saying to the other person. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, if we feel wronged, if we feel like somebody did something they shouldn't have done, we feel vindicated and validated in yelling and screaming and hurling insults. And we think, well, if you weren't such a dick, if you wouldn't have done these things, then I wouldn't have to fill in the blank. And that's that's manipulation is what that is. And it's not taking any type of ownership over what you've said. Is it understandable why you're pissed? Of course. Is it acceptable to communicate from that place? No. Mm -hmm. So you have to be an, have your own agency over your emotional state and how you are communicating. So we made this decision that we would separate for a couple of hours. And at the very beginning of that separation, you are like, fuck you. It's all your fault. I can't believe. And you just run over all of the reasons why they wronged you, right? Like that's the beginning entry point. And then you start to cool off a little bit, right? Because emotions are fleeting. You start to cool off a little bit and then you can start entertaining. Do they have any points or what is it that I need to communicate more effectively? And we have found then that if we take that time just for us to sink into it and see if there's anything that each of us needed to own, what the real issue is. I talk about this a lot too, of there will be a presenting issue and then there will be a root issue. Mm -hmm. So a presenting issue is usually like, you fucking left your shoes out again. I have asked you so many times. It's usually something stupid. Yeah. Why can't you close the blinds? I told you to turn the air conditioning off. Why didn't you pay this bill? That's the surface issue. And then the, that's what we usually yell and scream about and try to advocate for being right. I need to be right. Underneath that is the root issue. It's, I don't feel supported in our finances. I don't feel like you care about the efforts that I put in around the house. I feel, I feel like you would rather work than be with me. You know what I mean? It's the root issue of what you're really talking about. So when you separate, you can start thinking about here's why that thing or that comment 
bothered me so much. But that involves vulnerability, right? That involves coming back and actually talking about the root issue instead of the surface issue because you will find another surface issue. There will be another presenting thing that will mask the root issue of what's really happening in the dynamic with the relationship. So that's been one huge piece for us that we've kind of implemented as a strategy for conflict. I want to take a quick pause here to remind you that if you haven't already, you got to block out an hour on your calendar and check out my workshop, The Five-Step Strategy to Banish Anxiety and Overwhelm in Your Love Life, so you can attract a fulfilling partnership and live a life of purpose. It's completely free, and in the workshop, I break down exactly why you're in the dating pattern you're in, how to take the confidence you feel in the rest of your life and apply it to your dating life, and so much more. If you like my style, philosophy, and how I coach women on the show, this workshop will help you get started in your own deep work. And for those of you who want to understand the why behind what I do on the show, I even dig a bit into the science of love so you can start to see real change in your own love life. It's really all my best work in one place, and you can access it right now. I strongly believe you don't have to spend years in therapy or read every dating self-help book to dramatically transform your love life. Grab your seat over at veronicagrant.com forward slash workshop. And now back to the show. And then do you have anything um, or like any rules or boundaries around how you then communicate, you know, the resolution, so to speak? Well, we definitely will. We have allowing, there's a very much a no interruption thing Mm -hmm. of please allow me to finish. I want you to express. I want to express to you how I interpreted that, how it landed over here, regardless of what your intention was. Mm -hmm. Here's how I experienced that. And the commitment then from both of us is even if we don't get it, to respect it. Again, it's that, wow, I did not intend for that at all, but I can certainly appreciate that that's how you feel. Right. Mm -hmm. To not ever diminish or tell somebody you shouldn't feel the way you feel. That's incredibly manipulative language. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, when they say, well, you shouldn't feel like that. I already explained it to you. You shouldn't feel like that. Well, you are now discounting my emotional frequency, (laughs) Um, which is it's unacceptable. But we've we've learned over time to give that person the freedom to speak what's happening And one of the things we also try to do is to speak from our own personal experience instead of saying, you do this thing and you are trying to hurt me in this, right, where we're really assigning intent, yeah. but where we say, when this thing happened, here's what I made it mean. Here's where my head went. Here's how I interpreted that. Right. So that we're taking ownership of that instead of going, well, you're clearly this and you're a dick and you're a, and you don't care about me and you would, instead saying, when these things happen, here's the interpretation that that happens for me. I need to see that you value my relation, my input in the relationship, or here's how you can show me that. So being very linear, very specific about, what would mean the world to me is, and then fill in the blank of like, here's the specific thing. If it's, if it's a love languages thing, like if it's, I need you to say this specific word or phrase, 
give it to them. If it's an act of service, tell them exactly what that would look like. Don't just say things like, I want more romance or I need you to respect me more. Nobody knows what the fuck that means. Yeah, yeah. You have to say, I want you to plan a date night once a week, or it would mean the world to me if you told me once a day that I'm beautiful or that, you know, you're my soulmate or I'm so proud of you or whatever. Or it would mean the world to me if you would leave me a little note in my lunch once a week. Mm-hmm. Be clear about exactly what it is you're re- you're requesting. Yeah, yeah. That's a big one in our relationship is, yeah, more romantic. Like, like what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> and that's different <laughs> to hard to measure. Like, if, it, if, if it's actually, you know, because, you know, just saying more romantic, whatever. And then two weeks later, you're like, you're not being more romantic. But then, like, maybe your partner thought that he was being more romantic. I don't know. And, and then it just yeah. like another, it's just a whole nother conflict. One thing that's also worked for us is uh, like mirroring what the other person's saying. So I think a lot of arguments mm-hmm. come from like miscommunication or just not feeling heard or even being heard. Um, and so I think if there was some TV show that was kind of making fun of this and it was kind of funny, except that it's actually a really good <laughs> tool, I think in relationships, I can't remember what I was watching, yeah. but, but just saying, okay, so what I hear you saying is da, 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 because I think so often we just feel misunderstood by our partner. And then that can, I mean, depending on your childhood trauma and wounds, like that can trigger a whole myriad of, of things. Um, that's right. That's something actually that John Gottman talks about a lot, who we were referencing earlier with the Gottman Institute, about how people, we know scientifically that people will not make change unless they feel understood. Mm-hmm. So if you want change from your partner, you have to understand where they're coming from. You don't have to agree. That's a big distinction. You do not have to agree. You just have to understand and hear them out. And then you can start to look at resolution. Yeah. Yeah. That's been a big thing for Stevie. I've talked about that on the podcast a lot, how there's things that Stevie does and I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I support it. It's, you know, he just wants to watch cat videos, you know, for like an hour when he gets home from work every day. So I just have to let him watch cat videos because he needs to zone out because he's an introvert and he works a lot of people. So, yep. You know, (laughs) cat videos it is. (laughs) And because that doesn't that doesn't cause any unrest for you, right? Like that's not in direct opposition to any of your values. It's not at a severe cost to your own integrity. It's a matter of I unwind differently than you. So I just need to support you instead of making you wrong. I don't have to agree. I don't have to engage. I don't have to also like it. I just need to not be a dick to you about it. Yeah. Sometimes the videos are really cute, but like, yeah. I <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. do it for <laughs> however often he does it. Um, well, anyways, thank you so much for sharing some insights and a peek into your own relationship. So where can folks come and find you? Yeah. So I am over at thejoyjunkie.com. Junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. And that's sort of my hub of the internet. You can find a bunch of freebies over there workbooks, workshops, my podcast that I've been for eight years. You can find all the episodes over there. And yeah, I would just say, come over there, hang out, get some free loot. And I like to teach, especially on the show, in a very specific step-by-step way of like, here's a tool. Here's step one, step two, step three, because that's just how my, my brain works. So I teach in the same manner, but I would love for you to come hang out and get to know me. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and all that kind of good stuff. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. One more thing. You may be wondering, but Veronica, how do I start doing the deep work? I'm ready to make a shift. If that's you, I recommend you start with my totally free workshop, Five Steps to Ending Overwhelm and Anxiety in Dating. The good news is that you don't have to do all the things to find love. This workshop will walk you through the five big shifts that'll give you the biggest bang for your buck. You'll learn a step-by-step game plan to finally get unstuck and unblocked in love and end the cycle of dead-end relationships. You'll learn the number one reason most highly successful, motivated, and ambitious women struggle in love and what you can do to make sure it doesn't happen to you. You'll learn how to figure out the real reason you're attracting partners who aren't emotionally available or toxic or just simply not on your intellectual or emotional level. And you'll also learn the single most effective way to tap into the inner confidence you feel in your career and elsewhere in your life so that it'll carry over into your love life. And of course, a lot more. If you're ready to shift things in your life, I seriously can't wait for you to get your hands on this. Head over to veronicagrant.com forward slash workshop to sign up. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Life Connection podcast. If you're looking for links or resources mentioned in the show, you can find the show notes to this episode and all previous episodes at veronicagrant.com forward slash podcast. And if you love this episode, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review the show. It really helps. I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of the Love Life Connection podcast. And until then, sending you lots of love. Love.